Man, I have some unbelievably great news for you, and that's that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever received news that was just seemed like it was too good to be true. You had to think about it for a while. You got 100 on your AP calculus exam or something like that, or maybe the IRS sent you one of those mistake letters, only it was in your favor. So like for the last 20 years, you've been calculating your taxes wrong, and here's a check for $63,000. How many of you like me would call to make sure it was real before you cashed it? Suppose you're your second or third day on a new job, entry-level position, you're just glad to have the job. You're getting settled into your little cubicle with your monitor and your little headset and trying to figure out how to do things right, and some person in a suit comes in and says, I need you to come with me, we've made a terrible mistake. And you go, okay. And you get on the elevator and you go up 63 floors to the top of this building of this huge corporation into this big office where there are six other men and women whose collective wardrobe equals the cost of your car. And they say, we've made a terrible mistake. We put you in that entry-level position, but we really want you to take this office and be a vice president of the corporation. Your salary will increase tenfold. You'll be in profit sharing. You'll get a million dollar a year bonus. And by the way, when you come to work tomorrow, there'll be a parking spot with your name on it, and it will be parked a red 2013 Porsche 911. Have your name on the title. What do you do with that kind of news? <laughs> Write a check to the church? Thank you. Wow. Man, I'm praying for your job like never before now, Chester. That's fantastic. You got to think about news like that. You got to check it out to see if it's true. On an Easter Sunday morning, the first Easter Sunday morning more than 20 centuries ago, the disciples received some unbelievably great news. He's what? He's what? How do you deal with news like that? One of the first things I think you need to do with unbelievably good news is you need to decide whether or not it's even true. So I'd like to give you some facts this morning. I'd like to give you an Easter 101. I'd like for you to look at the facts of the resurrection of Jesus and make your decision. One of the challenging things about the facts of the resurrection is they're kind of chopped up into four different places in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all treat the resurrection, of course, because it's the central feature, along with the cross, of our whole faith. But they're chopped up, and in this gospel, there are these women who go, and these angels, and these guys are over here, and there's these fish over there. And How do you put it all together? And so what I've done for you this week is I've taken each of the pieces of the gospel account of the resurrection from all four, and I put them together in my sense of the continuous narrative in chronological order. So you're going to get all four gospels here in just what I'm calling Easter 101. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the facts about the unbelievably good news of the resurrection of Jesus. It begins with the cross. You can't have the resurrection without the cross. Jesus has to die. 
You can't have the resurrection without the cross. The resurrection is of no significance unless Jesus voluntarily gives his life on the cross for us, which is what he did for us on Friday. Nobody took his life away from him. He gave it. He completed his mission. He came to give his life for us. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was the fulfillment of messianic prophecies, of hundreds of years of prophecies in the Old Testament. And he came to do exactly what the Father had planned for him to do, and that's to die on the cross for us, to shed his blood. And he died on a Friday. But there's also a tomb involved in all of this. And uh, so on the Friday, toward the end of the day, before dark, they took the body of Jesus and they laid it in the tomb and they put an enormous stone in front of the tomb. You following so far? It was a quiet Saturday. It was a quiet Saturday between Friday and Sunday. But I need to tell you that there had been certain women at the cross, faithful followers of Jesus, among others. There were men there also, but there were women at the cross, one of whom was even Jesus' mother. And then on, uh, some of these women went to the tomb on Sunday. It was the third day, and it was customary to anoint the body, of the, of, of the body with spices, on their way, they said to each other, well, what are we going to do when we get there? Who will roll the stone away for us? Because this enormous stone was placed in front of the tomb. And uh, when they got there, they discovered that the stone had indeed been rolled away, but they also discovered that Jesus was not there. Now, this came as a terrible shock to them, and they began to cry. They didn't know what happened. They could only conclude that from what they saw that the tomb had been desecrated and that the body of Jesus had been stolen. And so instead of anointing the body of Jesus with spices, they wet the ground with their tears. And then Mary Magdalene, one of the women, she rushed off to tell somebody about this terrible thing that had happened at the tomb. And on her way, she met Peter and John. And she told them the terrible news. We went to the tomb to anoint his body with spices. The stone was moved. The body's gone. Something terrible has happened. Meanwhile, back at the tomb, angels appeared to the women who remained there weeping. And they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen just as he said. He said and, they, and the angel said to these women, now go and quickly and tell his disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. So the women rushed off to see if they could gather the disciples together to tell them about the empty tomb and what the angels had said. The disciples were pretty much scattered all about by this time for fear that the Jews and or the Romans were going to come after them next. While all this was happening, Peter and John were racing to the tomb to see if what Miriam said was actually true. And uh, I think it was John who got there first. And then when Peter got there, he actually went inside the tomb. And when they were there, they remembered the words of Jesus about rising from the dead. John at first and then Peter. And they were tempted. They were just tempted to believe that maybe this empty tomb could turn out to be a good thing. Well, meanwhile, the women managed to gather the disciples to tell them what the angels had told them. But, you know, being the day that it was, the disciples looked at them as women and said, you've lost your mind, we don't really believe what you're saying. But then, Peter and John joined the disciple meeting to say that the tomb was indeed empty and that they had remembered what Jesus used to say about rising from the dead. So there's that. They hadn't seen him yet. At this time, Mary Magdalene had raced back to the tomb to do some more weeping and wondering, where she too was met by angels who asked her why she was weeping. She said, because they've taken away the body of my Lord. I don't know where they put him. And while she was there, her eyes filled with tears, she turns and she almost runs into a man. She doesn't look directly at him, but figures he must be the gardener or something and says, do you know where they've put the body of my Lord? And then it happened for her. 
Jesus said her name. The man says her name, and in doing so, Jesus actually appeared to Mary. Mary's tears of sadness now turn to shouts of joy as she worships the risen Lord. Well, in the meantime, the other women decide to leave the generally unbelieving disciples to go to see if they can find Jesus. They're out for this walk, and while that's happening, Mary Magdalene rushes to the disciples' meeting to tell them that she's actually seen Jesus. In the meantime, Jesus appears to the other women. <laughs> so they rush, they rush back to tell the disciples that they've seen Jesus. But the disciple named Thomas has serious trouble with the whole thing, and he figures he's had just about enough of all this crazy talk from these women and about seeing Jesus, and who was dead on Friday, supposed to be alive on Sunday, so he takes off, he leaves, to go out and wonder and doubt about the whole thing. Meanwhile, two other followers of Jesus, not of the apostles, were on their way to Emmaus, talking about Jesus when he appeared to them. When the risen Jesus then serves these two guys, of all things, bread and wine, they light up like candles, and probably Roman candles, and have an (laughs) overwhelmingly amazing, though brief, meal with the first one to ever conquer death, and then he disappears from their sight. Well, about this time, Peter decides he's going to go out to look for Jesus. And there in the middle of nowhere, Jesus appears to Peter. Peter rushes back to the disciples minus Thomas and says that he too has now seen Jesus risen from the dead. Now the disciples have a new problem. They have the testimony of a man. But it was, after all, Peter who was known to be a little Peter. So they sit around for the rest of the day talking about the scriptures, trying to remember anything Jesus said about rising from the dead and generally debating the whole thing. And when evening comes, all of the disciples except Thomas were together in a locked house. As the debate about the resurrection is raging on among these theological giants, the most amazing thing happens. Jesus appears to them, all of them except, of course, Thomas, who is out doubting and pouting, and Jesus assures them all that it's him, and he breathes on them. And he breathes on them as peace. And in the process, he gives them some of the Holy Spirit. But it was a preview of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that would come at Pentecost. And then Jesus disappears, and not long after, who decides to come home? Thomas comes back and he says something like, you know, I've been thinking about this whole resurrection thing and I think maybe we're just letting our imaginations get away from us and all the other disciples said, well, you just missed him. (laughs) He was just here. (laughs) So a whole week goes by and then Jesus appears to the disciples again. (laughs) You know, it's helpful when you only work one day a week. You have all this time on your hands, so... So Thomas is feeling a little sheepish at this point. And so Jesus invites him to come over and check him out. And when he does, all of his questions and his doubts vanish. And afterward, there was an episode of a huge catch of fish, which was orchestrated by Jesus, who already had a fire going so that he could eat lunch with him. He tells Peter then that even though he denied knowing him, he still wants him to be the rock of the church and the feeder of the sheep. The Bible says there are accounts of Jesus doing miracle after miracle after miracle. John says so many that there wouldn't be enough room in the world for the books to contain them. (laughs) 
one point Jesus appeared, the risen Jesus appeared before 500 people at one time. And after precisely 40 days, Jesus once again amazed his disciples by rising up into the sky and ascending into the heaven where he sits right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for our sins. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the unbelievably good news that I've been bursting to tell you about. So what do you do with unbelievably good news? What do you do with unbelievably good news? I think, first of all, you believe it. Just make a decision to believe it. Whether it's somebody coming and into your place of employment and saying, we made a terrible mistake, we want to move you up here. At some point, you have to decide whether it's true. And at some point, you have to decide whether the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually true. You just have to decide. And you get to decide. One of the amazing things about the gospel is that you get to decide. Now, if you decide that it's not true, I should warn you, it doesn't mean that it isn't. It just means that you're wrong. (laughs) I respect your right to be wrong. I really do. You're welcome to be here and not believe in the resurrection, but I need to warn you about something. You're just wrong. I don't mean that arrogantly. I know that you're wrong because I've encountered the risen Jesus too, and so have many, many, many of you. There's that great old hymn of the church, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. This isn't a wish. This isn't a dream. This isn't a fantasy. This isn't a fairy tale. This is the dynamic reality of spiritual reality of living in the kingdom of God with the risen Jesus. So you make a decision. How do you access that? You make a decision that it's true. There are enough facts, as I've just presented them, facts of testimony that have withstood the scrutiny of 2,000 years. There are enough facts for you to say it's true. It's true. You know, just because Jesus is the only one that you ever knew about that raised from the dead doesn't mean it's not true, right? You probably have some unique features of your life that are true, but they're unique. Jesus is one of them. Jesus uniquely rose from the dead. And so you make a decision to believe it. And the second thing you do is you embrace it. I mean, it's not just about believing it, going, well, how's about that? And that's something. It's about embracing it and letting this good news of the resurrected Jesus overcome you, embrace you, master you, own you, heal you, set you free. The Bible says in Ephesians that God is making available to us for our liberty, for our healing, for our blessing as a church, the same power that he exerted in Christ when he rose him from the dead. That's the same power that God is giving to his church. So you let that same power, the reality of that news, embrace you, get a hold of you, change all the price tags in your life. And then the third thing you got to do is you just got to tell it. You just got to tell it. Who would sit on news like this? I mean, if you got the news at work thing, the 63 floors in the Porsche, hello? Hello? Can you Twitter? How fast can you Twitter? You would tell everybody. Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you. 
That's something to talk about. That's something to talk about. What if people don't believe you? Then they'll be wrong. It's still something to talk about. These are the things I think you do with unbelievably good news. Once you decide that it's true, you believe it. And you believe it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You embrace it. You let it work in you. You tell it. On September 11, 2011, 2,977 innocent people were killed by terrorists here in the United States. And they were moms and dads and sons and daughters, sisters and brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles, friends, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. They were all kinds of people. And can you imagine being anyone who was connected with anyone who was killed on that day? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be the family member of someone who was in one of those towers when it fell to the ground and they were still digging and still digging and day one goes by. They've got to be gone. And day two goes by. I'm sorry. They've got to be dead. No one can survive this. But on day three, on the third day, somebody comes says we have unbelievably good news we found your daughter and she's alive what would you do is it true is it true well if it's true I've got to see her I want to see her now I want to be in experience with her now I want to embrace her and have her embrace me and having done that who wouldn't you tell? Who wouldn't you tell? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Before he did, in a conversation with Lazarus' sister, he said this. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looked Martha square in the eye and he said, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because believing it is what makes it true in your life. It's a true reality whether we believe it or not, but it's what makes it effective for you. In Romans 10, 9, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, why do I have to believe that part? Because otherwise, he's just a political martyr who just died for you. Big deal. Put him on the list. Jesus is unique in that as the Son of God, he rose for you. Embracing the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the same as embracing the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and he rose again. So how do we do this? What do we do right now? Do we have some slow, solemn time where we say, okay, I believe in you, Jesus? Is that how you would respond to the good news of your daughter being found in the rubble? Oh, we must have a little time here. Now you would stand and celebrate it. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you stand and declare it? 
Well, let's stand and declare it. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we look to you now, and we ask you to come in your power. We ask you to come in the majesty of your presence. We ask you to come into this place right now and to connect with our hearts. Lord, in our minds, we're saying it's true. In spite of the fact that it just defies all objective reality, anything that we have to empirically uh, uh, really evaluate it with, we know that it's true. We know that you're bigger than the world. We know that you're bigger than the world, and so you do not need to stand to the bar of our reason, that you can go beyond that. And so, Father, today, on this Easter, in the name of Jesus, we look to you and we celebrate the truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We celebrate the truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead.